Welcome to Making the Most of Time with me, Elliot Apple. I'm a financial planner and caregiver. To give you a little background, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer when I was 25. Our world was changed instantly, and it's been a constant state of change ever since. Since then, I've been learning about the intersection of money, health, and loss, personally and professionally. This is a place to explore money, loss, and grief. It's about making the most of time, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. There are no taboo topics, no question is off limits. These conversations are for people like you, people who are about to lose a significant other, widows, caregivers, and anybody affected by a major health event. I'm glad you're here. So with that, let's start making the most of time. Today's topic probably isn't going to be on the top of anybody's list. It's probably not going to be a lot of fun for you, but hear me out. It's really, really important, and I see some really common mistakes with this. And today we're talking about homeowner's insurance and how to review your policy. And for me, it's really important to review these policies because a lot of people set them and then don't ever review them again. So let's dive into it. Homeowner's insurance is important because someone's home is often their most valuable asset. Unfortunately, homeowner's insurance is also an insurance many people buy and forget to review. As building costs go up, it's really important to review your dwelling protection. What it costs to rebuild your house today may be many, many times more expensive than it was in the past. Or perhaps you bought expensive jewelry or art that need a separate rider on your homeowner's policy. Or you built an addition to your house or remodeled, and that isn't currently reflected in your homeowner's insurance. Even if you bought your house and insured it recently, you may want to review your homeowner's insurance to see if changes are needed. I'll explain the different coverages available, common mistakes I see in selecting coverages, provide tips to prepare for a future claim, and discuss the pros and cons of earthquake insurance and flood insurance. So let's look at understanding your homeowner's insurance coverage. I'll walk you through what each coverage insures and how to think about how to select an amount in each category. So for your dwelling protection, the dwelling protection ensures the main parts of the house. Usually, if it's connected to the roof line or bolted down to your house, i.e. the air conditioning or water heater, it's usually covered under the dwelling protection. For example, if you had a garage attached to your house, it is typically insured under the dwelling coverage. This is an important distinction because if you had a detached garage, it would likely be insured under the other structure's coverage. However, your home is not protected from every possible catastrophe. For instance, Dwelling coverage usually provides protection when damages occur from fire, wind, lightning, hail, smoke, vandalism, or theft. Dwelling coverage usually does not cover floods, earthquakes, sewer backup or sump pump damage, service line leaks or breaks. Please take careful note that sewer backup and service line breaks are not covered under most dwelling coverages. I've seen this catch many people off guard. The sewer backs up in a basement does $40,000 worth of damage, and they think they will file a claim, but they actually don't have coverage for it. This can sometimes be added as an additional coverage for an extra cost, but not always. It depends on the insurer. Also, the gas and water lines between your home and the street line are often your responsibility and not covered by insurance. For example, if your water line breaks between your home and the street, homeowner's insurance usually isn't going to cover it unless you added it as an additional coverage or your policy includes it. 
Now, the reason I know that is because I had a neighbor whose line actually broke coming into their house, and I don't know if their insurance covered it or not, but I made sure to call my insurer immediately to see if it would, and I found out it doesn't. So that's just something to be aware of. Now that you know what the dwelling coverage protects, the next logical question is, how much dwelling coverage protection should I have? This is a very difficult question to answer. One way to approach answering it is to ask, how much would it cost to build my home if it burned down? You typically want your dwelling coverage to be high enough to hire someone to replace your house and all the building materials that go along with it. Please keep in mind that when you look at the market value of your home, it includes the land value. Your dwelling coverage shouldn't include the land value. For example, if you could sell your home for $2 million, but the land is worth $1.2 million, you don't need dwelling coverage for $2 million because you won't have to replace the land. Now, you may be thinking, don't I just insure it for $800,000 then, since that's the value of the house? Well, not necessarily. Remember, you need the value to replace your home, not what it's worth. It may cost more or less than the current value of your home. A back-of-the-envelope calculation to determine an appropriate amount of dwelling coverage is to determine the average cost per square foot to build in your specific area and multiply it by the square footage of your home. For example, if the average cost per square foot to build in your area is $300 and your home is 2,000 square feet, you could consider dwelling coverage of $600,000. The downside to this method is the average cost per square foot may not reflect your home build. If you have custom cabinets, higher quality wood, better carpet, expensive siding, or other improvements that are higher quality than the average home, this, may, this method may severely underestimate the amount of dwelling coverage needed. You may want to get the average cost per square foot to build in your area for your particular type of home. For example, the average cost per square foot to build in Seattle can vary dramatically. I looked this up and I found out that a modern house might be $500 to $750 per square foot, while a Victorian house might be $300 to $600 a square foot. If you had a 2,000 square foot house, that could mean a cost of $600,000 or $1.5 million to rebuild. That's a huge difference. You wouldn't want to underinsure and find out that when you need to rebuild your home. Insurance companies use calculators to estimate costs, and you can ask for this, but I've seen this fluctuate wildly. I've seen them estimate the average cost per square foot to build at $150 in smaller towns where builders and contractors are harder to come by, and most builders would charge $300 a square foot. These calculators also may not reflect upgrades in your home. It's fine to use a calculator, but I would look up building costs in your local area from multiple sources. You could start with an online calculator I found, it's at cost2build.net, and then compare it to your research. I would even recommend calling a few different builders just to see what the cost per square foot would be to rebuild. In my experience, much of the information online underestimates the cost to build. I've seen calculators suggest the cost per square foot to build in Seattle is $200 a square foot, and I don't know any builder who would touch a project for that amount. Once you determine the amount of dwelling coverage, you'll need to decide between three different replacement cost methods, if your insurer offers these three. One is standard replacement, the other is extended replacement costs, and then the last is the guaranteed replacement cost. The standard replacement cost allows you to rebuild your home with similar materials without a deduction for depreciation. The extended replacement cost allows you to set the same dwelling coverage, but allows a certain percentage over that amount if the building costs are more than anticipated. For example, the extended replacement cost might allow for 25% over the dwelling coverage, meaning if you had dwelling coverage of $400,000 and building costs were up to $500,000, you would still have enough. The guaranteed replacement cost is the most generous, 
and typically the most expensive option because it will cover the cost to rebuild your home regardless of the cost. For example, if your dwelling coverage was 400,000, but because of higher labor and material costs that cost $800,000 to rebuild, they'd still pay it. That's the beauty of guaranteed replacement costs. Fewer insurers offer this type of coverage, so you may be stuck with extended or standard replacement costs, but ask your insurer, see what options you have available. Another variable to keep in mind is that labor and building materials may skyrocket during certain events. For example, during the California wildfires, there were not enough contractors for the number of people who wanted to rebuild all at once. The cost to replace a home skyrocketed and many people found themselves underinsured. If just your home burns down, your dwelling coverage may be enough, but when a whole area is affected, your dwelling coverage may not be adequate. Also, during the pandemic, certain building materials such as lumber tripled in cost. Imagine trying to rebuild your home during that time, or if another material went up in value. Your dwelling coverage during normal times may have been enough, but then life happened. It's something to keep in mind when you select the amount of your dwelling coverage and replacement cost method. A little higher dwelling coverage or a more generous replacement cost method can go a long ways during a difficult time of needing to rebuild, especially when everyone else is trying to rebuild at the same time. The other structure's protection is usually a percentage, such as 10% of your dwelling coverage. For example, if your dwelling coverage is 800,000, your other structure's protection might be $80,000. Other structures commonly include garages, fences, guest houses, sheds. If you have more expensive structures on your property, you may want to contact your insurer to ask about raising the other structure's protection if the default amount provided is not adequate. Something that comes to mind here might be a garage if you outfitted it really nicely or you had expensive fencing um, or something else that caused it to be more than 10% of your dwelling coverage or whatever amount your insurer covers. Personal property protection covers everything else in the home, such as clothes, furniture, electronics, musical instruments, sports equipment, and appliances. Typically, personal property protection is 20 to 50% of your dwelling coverage. You'll have to check with your insurer to see what the specific percentage is in your case. For example, if your dwelling coverage was $800,000, the personal property protection might be $160,000 to $400,000. Again, you'll have to look at your policy to determine what it is exactly. There are typically two types of personal property coverage. One, actual cash value, and two, replacement cost value. Actual cash value reimburses you for the actual cash value of your possessions if they are destroyed and covered under your policy. You can think of this one as taking into account depreciation. For example, if you bought a couch for $1,500 five years ago, it may only be worth $250 today. If you had an actual cash value policy, the policy would pay $250 to replace the couch because that's what it's worth today. As you can imagine, most people don't want to be paid $250. They want a new couch, which is where replacement cost value can be a good option. Replacement cost value will pay you the current market value to replace an item. It does not take into account depreciation. For example, using the same couch example from before, the policy would pay $1,500 if that was the cost to buy the couch today. Now, the biggest mistake I see people often make with personal property protection is not realizing that policies usually have limits on certain items or categories of items. For example, policies typically limit how much they'll pay for musical instruments, jewelry, furs, stamp or coin collections, art, antiques, guns, bicycles, or cameras. When you have these items, they can sometimes be worth a significant amount of money and require being scheduled in the policy or having a separate policy altogether. For instance, if you had a $15,000 necklace, 
your policy may only pay up to $2,000 per item or category of item, meaning if it was stolen, the policy would only pay $2,000 to replace it if it was not scheduled or under another policy. I would ask your insurer what dollar limits they have on certain items or categories of items and what needs to be scheduled. Typically, if you have any single item or category of items that are worth more than $1,000 or $2,000, that's usually the common limit amounts, I would ask them about scheduling the item. You can also go without scheduling it. Maybe you want to self-insure the risk. For example, if you have a $3,000 bicycle that is stolen from your home and the policy only covers $2,000, you may be okay covering the extra $1,000 if you need to replace it. However, with higher dollar value items, you may not want to cover the difference. For instance, if you have a rare cello worth $75,000, you may not be comfortable accepting $2,000 if it was stolen. The other big mistake I see people make is underestimate the value of all their possessions. Since most possessions are accumulated over time, we often have no idea what it would cost to replace them all at once. Go around your house, add up your kitchenware, desks, computers, art, furniture, clothes, beds, televisions, tables, musical instruments, everything in your house. What would that cost to replace? The amount may shock you. Loss of use is the amount provided to help pay for increased living costs if your house is temporarily uninhabitable due to a covered event. For example, if your house has a fire and needs to be repaired, loss of use may pay for you to get a hotel nearby. It may also pay for you to rent a similar home in your neighborhood if it will take longer to repair. It can also pay for increased food costs such as restaurant meals if you don't have access to a kitchen, boarding a pet, and increased commuting costs. Loss of use coverage is meant to offset the increase in living expenses because you can't live in your own home. Loss of use is often 20-30% to 30% of your dwelling coverage limit. For example, if your dwelling coverage limit is $800,000, your loss of use coverage might be $160,000 to $240,000. Again, check with your insurer to see what your policy covers. Something to double check is whether you can rent a comparable home in your area for your loss of use amount. For example, if your home takes two years to rebuild because of a shortage of contractors or supplies and comparable homes rent for, say, $5,000 in your area, you may want loss of use coverage limits of around $120,000. That's the $5,000 a month times 24 months. Something to be aware of is that loss of use coverage only applies to covered events. For example, if your home floods but you don't have flood insurance, the loss of use probably isn't going to apply. You may also find additional coverages in your policy. Often these are coverages like sewer backup and extra contents coverage. These tend to be coverages not included as a standard in your policy, but you can add for additional costs. For example, sewer backup is usually not covered in most homeowners insurance policies, but some insurers allow you to add limited coverage for it for an additional premium. You should review this area to see if it needs updating. Remember, feel free to ask your agent what sort of coverages you may need in your policy. Liability protection is a critical part of a homeowner's insurance policy because it may help protect you in the event that someone is injured on your property and sues you. For example, if someone slips on your stairs because you didn't repair a broken banister, they sue you and you are found liable, your liability coverage may help defend you in a lawsuit. Could also be helpful if your kid throws a baseball through a neighbor's window by accident, or if your dog bites a person while you're out for a walk in the neighborhood. Your liability protection may help you then. It's important to know that it doesn't cover you or your family member injured in your home. It helps protect you if you accidentally injure a guest or their property. Unless you have a solid reason not to have the highest level of coverage, I usually suggest the maximum coverage amount, which is often around $500,000. Then you might want to consider umbrella insurance policy on top of it. Guest medical coverage 
may provide money for a guest who accidentally is injured in your home. Guests can submit medical bills to your insurance company and often have them paid, which is a way to reduce the likelihood someone submits a liability claim. Liability coverage may cover expenses when you are at fault, whereas guest medical coverage can cover expenses even if you didn't cause it. Another way to say that is with guest medical coverage, it doesn't matter who is at fault. For example, if your guest trips over themselves, hits their head, and needs to get stitches, your guest's medical coverage could potentially cover the costs. If they tripped over a wrinkle in your carpet instead of themselves, then you could potentially be liable, which could open a liability claim. I like to think of guest medical coverage as a first line of defense for guests. If someone trips, you may be able to offer your guest medical coverage to pay for their bills to hopefully reduce the likelihood that they sue you. For example, if a guest does trip over a wrinkle in your carpet, you may be found liable, but if your guest medical coverage can pay their bill, they may decide not to sue you and open a liability claim. Guest medical coverage often comes with $1,000, $5,000, or $10,000 limits. Some go up higher, it depends on the insurer. And keep in mind, it doesn't cover you or anybody living in the house, only guests. The last thing you'll probably see on your homeowner's insurance policy is the deductible. The deductible is the amount you'll pay before your coverage pays. For example, if you have a $5,000 deductible, you would need to pay $5,000 before the insurance company pays anything. If you choose a higher deductible, your premium is usually lower and vice versa. If you're looking to increase your coverage but not raise your premium as much, one option may be to choose a higher deductible. There are many homeowners who can go 20 plus years without a claim and are willing to accept a higher deductible in return for a lower premium. Plus, it's often suggested not to file small claims on a homeowner's insurance policy because if you have enough claims, your insurer may raise rates or elect not to renew your policy. So let's sum up all the different coverage types and what questions you should be asking. For dwelling protection, the questions I would ask are, could I rebuild my house for this amount? Do I know the cost per square foot to rebuild a house like mine? Do I have or want extended or guaranteed replacement cost? For other structures protection, do I have additional structures that would cost more than my current coverage if I needed to rebuild? For personal property protection, do I understand actual cash value versus replacement cost value? Have I considered every single item in my home and what it would cost to replace everything? And do I need to schedule any items? For loss of use, if I was out of my home for an extended period while my home is being repaired, would this be enough to offset the costs of renting, commuting, and eating for that entire time period? And for additional coverages, do I need to schedule property, such as jewelry, or add sewer backup or service line coverage? For liability protection, have I purchased the maximum amount? And if not, do I have a very good reason for why I don't need it? Guest medical coverage. Do I want higher coverage as a way to pay for guests who injure themselves on my property? And then finally, the deductible. Have I looked at raising or lowering my deductible to see how it affects my premium? Am I willing to accept a higher deductible to lower my premium? Now, let's get you prepared for a future claim. Hopefully that never happens. I know nobody ever wants to think they'll need to file a claim on their homeowner's insurance policy, but taking 15 minutes to record a video of your house may really help if you ever find yourself in that position. Seriously, open your cell phone right after this podcast, go to video mode, and start walking around your house showing everything in it. Back it up to the cloud or on a thumb drive in a separate location. Now you have proof of what you own if you ever need to file a claim. It's much easier to create an inventory of what you own from a video than try to remember and substantiate that you bought everything. In a perfect world, you'd create a spreadsheet of every item, but who has time or wants to do that? Most people don't. A video backed up to the cloud is an easy way to prepare for a future claim. Seriously, after this, go spend 15 minutes and just walk around videoing your house. 
Now, thinking about claims, you may want to think twice before filing a claim. I mentioned it earlier, but it's worth repeating. Be smart about filing claims. If you file too many claims, the insurer may raise your premium or drop you altogether. For example, if your deductible is $2,500 and you file a claim for $3,000, you may want to think carefully about whether that makes sense. You'll pay $2,500 and your insurer is going to pay $500. Depending on your resources, you may be better off absorbing $500 by not filing the claim in case you need to file larger claims in the future. Claims will usually stay on your record for five to seven years. Now, earthquake insurance is something that's not usually covered under a homeowner's insurance policy. It usually needs to be purchased separately or added to your policy. Earthquake insurance tends to be expensive and it has a high deductible, but it doesn't mean you should ignore it entirely. For example, many earthquake insurance policies have deductibles around 10 to 20%, meaning if you have dwelling coverage of $800,000 in an earthquake insurance policy, you may need to pay $80,000 to $160,000 as your deductible before your insurance policy pays. I know that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, but sometimes some coverage is better than none. For people in high-risk areas where their home is a substantial asset, where they plan to use some of the equity in their home during retirement, such as selling and downsizing, earthquake insurance may be something to consider. You can ask your agent or consider a separate policy from another provider. Some do offer standalone earthquake insurance policies. For what it's worth, I have earthquake insurance because I'd much rather pay my premium each year and the high deductible if my home decides to slide off the hill during an earthquake. I just don't have the funds to build a new home entirely from my savings, and it's a trade-off that I'm willing to accept. Flood insurance also doesn't usually come standard on a homeowner's insurance policy. There's a national flood insurance program managed by FEMA and sold by a network of insurance companies. Flood insurance can cover both your building and the possessions inside. You could contact your existing agent or find a separate flood insurance provider. Flooding can occur anywhere, but you can also estimate your risk of flooding using flood factor. You can just search for flood factor and it will tell you the odds or an estimate of the probability of whether your certain area will flood. Flood insurance is different from homeowner's insurance in that the maximum coverage you can secure is limited. For homes, it's currently $250,000 for the building and $100,000 for possessions. There are also waiting periods for coverage, which is why it's important to decide whether you want it early. As labor costs go up, material prices rise, and you remodel your house, your homeowner's insurance policy may need adjusting. Go through each line item using this guide and determine if what you have today is adequate. Also, don't forget to do a review with your insurance agent. They're there to help you make sure you understand your policy and help you decide on levels of coverage. Don't forget, make a video walking through your house. It might be invaluable if you ever need to file a claim. If you're considering filing a claim, think twice about it. If it's going to be only slightly over your deductible, you may want to pay out of pocket to avoid the claim going on your record. Lastly, consider earthquake or flood insurance as most homeowners insurance policies do not cover earthquake or flood damage. And I'll leave you with one question to act on. When will you review your homeowner's insurance policy? Elliot Apple is an investment advisor representative of Kindness Financial Planning, LLC. However, in hosting this podcast, Elliot is not acting as an investment advisor representative individually or on behalf of Kindness Financial Planning. The information and opinions in this podcast are for general, informational, and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment, financial, legal, or tax advice. 
Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication, and such opinions are subject to change. No representation is made as to the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Any past performance referenced is historical, and no guarantee of future results. All indices referenced are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. All investments involve a certain level of risk. You should carefully consider if an investment is suitable for you before making an investment. Please consult your legal, financial, and other professionals to determine what may be appropriate for you.